Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dialogic Disciple Podcast. My name is James Johnson and I'm here with my co-host. Nick Halston. Nick Halston. In the house. Yelling into the microphone. It got uh, really hot. I don't know. I get excited. I get pumped up. I feel like I'm going to miss it. So then, then I get loud because you usually get on to me because I miss it. Because <laughs> you're not paying attention. Because I'm usually trying to figure out what we're about to talk about. Uh, <laughs> there we go. All right. So, uh, my name is James Johnson, and I am here with my co-host... Nick Houston. Nick Houston. Nick, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. It's good to see you. Good to have you here on the podcast. We have a special guest with us today, a, uh, a visitor often, an often I mean, you called me, called me the Alec Baldwin of the yes, podcast. Indeed, the, the Alec Baldwin week, of yeah. the podcast. So, this is uh, Reverend Jeff Rogers. How are you doing, Jeff? That's me. I'm doing fantastic. It's Thursday. Wrapping up the week. That's it's right. A, it's a good feeling. It is a good feeling. We appreciate you taking the time to come here and talk a little bit about, uh, today we're going to talk about Samuel. So, uh, the book of Samuel, the character of Samuel, um, and how that connects to our Advent devotional uh, this year. Uh, again, we're using stories that aren't traditional uh, Advent stories, but I think today's, our, uh, this week's uh, discussion on Samuel actually has some connective tissue and and points in the direction of Jesus. <laughs> I, like, I like that you said, this week actually does. <laughs> well, Unlike I, the previous weeks I that think, were a real stretch. I think each week does, but I think this one uh, has some, some. I think like, well, like Ruth very did. very concrete. I think that there are some actual, um, I, I think that there, <laughs> what's the word I'm looking for? There's actually some scriptural antecedents happening here, right? There, no one's going to know what that means. Uh, we're on antecedents today, huh? Ooh. It's that kind of day. It's an it's antecedent kind, kind of day. day. It's an antecedent kind of day. Let's just go well, back to the tell you. I, mean, I, think I, I love the concept of peace that we're starting yes. off with here. I think that's a great theme for Advent since it is one of the Advent themes Absolutely. that you roll through. And also, uh, just just a great theme for me. I love peace. Did you know Did my you name know? means peace? God's peace. <laughs> is that right? Yeah, that's what I Jeff means. I did not know that. So there you go. That's well, my fun go. fact for the podcast. I love it. Bringing some hot information. You're like, Who does he think he is? Michael Devine? <laughs> <laughs> I don't have that kind of random <laughs> factoids to include. These I, are guess, I guess knowing what your name means isn't that random, right? I mean, yeah. we should probably all know. Mine, I think mine means nurtured. Victory of the people. <laughs> Nicholas, I guess that would be a communist name after all. I'm it? pretty sure it's Greek, right? <laughs> well, all right. Well, let, uh, Jeff, since you uh, since you are the man of peace, uh, named after peace, let's let's start with a conversation about what peace means. So, not necessarily just within the Advent or Christmas season sense, but like when we talk about peace, what are we talking about? You know, I think. People talk about peace in different ways. There's the, and you get to this in your devotional, I think, a little bit talking about what is peace in the world around us and what is the world seeking for and what does it mean to be at peace in your heart and in your spirit and in your relationship ultimately with God. I believe that's kind of where you're leading folks with the devotional. That's how I took it sure, for yeah, sure. Absolutely. And for me, like peace is just central to my to my being, you know, I mean, if I'm going to pull, if I pulled a Michael Devine, let me pull a Catherine Booth Olson and say, <laughs> as an Enneagram nine piece <laughs> is uh, what I'm always going for. So for me, like peace is a central part of what I'm striving for. And I wonder where that falls for y'all. Like how central yeah. does peace, pl- how central of a role does it play in your own life? Yeah, that's a great question. Nick, do you want to take a, take a stab at that? You know, I, I, as you think about an answer, Nick, let me let me say this. I, I've, as I was preparing for, you know, as I was writing this and preparing for this podcast and thinking about some of the, the thing about the Sunday school lesson we're going to be teaching on Sunday, um, I did realize that I don't think about peace that much. Mm. Um, now that's funny now because when I was younger, I was a hardcore. Uh, I was a hardcore pacifist and I was a hardcore and I still am a pacifist. Don't get me wrong, but I, there was a part, there was a time in my life. So when was I, Jesus. Exactly. So you're yeah, exactly. You were like a militant pacifist. No, I was, I was a pacifist. And so, but, but uh, what's funny about that is that when I was younger, I, I made peace to be the central element of what the kingdom of God is all about. Sure. And I still think it, it sure. it's very important, but I don't think about hmm. peace that often now. I just realized as I was putting this together. I mean, it is so central, I feel like, in 
and pastoral ministry, yeah. so much of what you're trying to offer folks is peace, especially in these moments where they typically find themselves coming to church or looking to God. It's a moment of illness. It's a moment of death. It's a moment of internal wrestling. Uh, and, and it's because their spirit is not at peace that they're like, oh, absolutely. where do I go? Absolutely. And I, you kind of talked about that a little bit with um, your sermon at the Hope and Healing mm-hmm. service, um, which I got to hear most of, I think. But um, that, that piece, I think, that, that comes from surrendering to Jesus and taking up Jesus's burden or mm-hmm. Jesus's yoke mm-hmm. rather than trying to bear our own. Um, peace is probably the best way to talk about that. But that's not like... And, and maybe that's the difference. Maybe that's the difference between how I think about peace now and how I used to think about peace. Because mm-hmm. peace in the... When I was younger, uh, right, when I, when I went to seminary and whatever, right, peace for me was about nonviolence. Sure. Right? But now peace has become, as I've gotten older, the kind of peace that I desperately want and need is that kind of peace that is internal to my soul, like in my heart and between yeah, relationships and stuff like that. So. Yeah, and that, like, I guess what I hear is that initially peace was an absence of any conflict yeah. in your life. But there's no way you can live in a world where there's an absence of conflict. Right. But the peace that Christ offers, right? I'm going to take a stab and say John 14, right? The advocate, the Holy Spirit, the peace that comes with that is a presence, an Emmanuel (laughs) in the midst of conflict. (laughs) Jeff's on fire today. Nick, you want to, you want to contribute to conversation? I think, I think I've calmed down enough (laughs) to speak. Um, I'm feeling this this like two kinds of peace situation going. I've had that same experience. I think I actually kind of incorporated some of these thoughts into a devotional at some point as those daily devotionals have been yeah, going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because for so long, I have, I think, maybe had it flipped, James. I have more felt um, that call to that internal peace, kind of this the, mm. a, a mental peace, an emotional peace yeah. um, that you get from having the Holy Spirit live in you, you know, understanding that Jesus Christ is your Savior. But then um, I have taken more of that nonviolence track with peace. Um, You know, when when the angels say peace on earth. Yeah. um, You know, that's kind of that that greeting during Christmas, peace on earth. And And I don't think that that is exactly the, the internal... You know, peace that surpasses understanding. Right. I think that is actual nonviolent, nonviolent. Yeah, right. I mean, let's not just have our faith be a a spiritualization of everything, but actually impact our actions in the world. Right, right, right. And and that that has become that that interpretation then has kind of made this world for me. Where one of my favorite Christmas carols right now is "I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day." Oh uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Because of that. Um, peace on earth goodwill to men and this idea of like bells ringing throughout christendom and everybody understands that you know jesus is lord and there's peace. right and and that's um and, and that that idea that you just described this kind of idea that that what there's what these angels are proclaiming peace on earth uh and what we take up as as disciples of jesus christ and and is part of the kingdom of god that's the reflection we see of you know my favorite bible passage right uh, isaiah chapter 2 right where the peoples the nations stream up to the top of the mountain they learn the word of god and the impact of that the effect of that is that when they come down they don't learn war anymore and so mm-hmm. it's it's certainly about that kind of physical um or worldly uh violence and nonviolence mm-hmm. kind of thing and i remember i remember like when i was preaching that gospel uh i would have people like you or other people who would come up and be like now james they're not talking about like not killing russians <laughs> they're talking about the kind of spiritual peace you get when you accept jesus christ as your personal savior and i remember saying no no yeah, that's not how they read that passage no but that's how we we've talked about it like that well and i do well it's very safe to yeah. talk about it like that, to spiritualize it like that. I but mean, I do not think that that's not also is, true, right, right? Right. You can we can have both of these kinds of peace. But I sure. do think that I do think that that is sort of a commentary on not a commentary. That's not the right word. I mean, I think it's talking about Christ coming back for a second time, and then there's yeah. real peace on earth, right? Right. But I think we're part of like the, the church, the kingdom of God. We 
we are part of building that peace, of living into that peace. Um, like that's been our, that's our call. That's what we're supposed to be doing here as the church is building the kingdom of God through the Holy Spirit. And I think we we're all a lot of us <laughs> just kind of sit around and be like, I wonder when Jesus is going to come back. As soon as he has a kingdom to come back to. As soon as we do the work that we're supposed to be doing, mm-hmm. right? We're just getting farther and farther away. Yeah, we are. We are. I think we are. You know, I read today, I saw today that uh, hurricane force winds ripped through the Midwest and flipped cars and trucks and knocked out the power for like, like a million people. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's the end of time. <laughs> the end of time is here. And there's a new COVID variant coming out. I'm like, uh, mm-hmm. uh, it's the end of time. But that's like always Jesus, been the case. take me. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's always. You know, it's always been the case. There's always been stuff yep. like this happening. Not to say that it's not getting worse or that we're in a particular situation where things are really bad. But in a world like this that we live in, how do we find peace? And I think now we're talking about a kind of inner calm and tranquility sure, that sure. we find in the Holy Spirit. Mm. And that we desperately need. Like, how can we as the church be that beacon of peace to this world that's getting literally blown away? How could you offer nonviolence unless you had that inner peace? Right. What does Samuel have to say for us, James? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, all right, well, let's jump in. Let's take a look. Can I, since the first story in there is Hannah, yeah. I just got to tell a quick story yeah, about do. Hannah that doesn't have anything to do with peace. So my first uh, job at a church, I'm at this church out in Colbert, uh, Georgia. It's about 15 minutes outside of Athens. It's a rural community. And I was the youth pastor. The pastor in charge goes away. It says I get to preach for a week. Cool. But what I found was, from my point of view, I was like, man, these people here really know the bible like they love the bible so they know the bible i gotta like i gotta learn some stuff before i (laughs) preach this message so i just started digging through all kinds of scripture just finding obscure references as much as i could so i could impress these people as a you know 19 year old kid (laughs) in college right and so i'm doing it and i just offhand mention hannah who couldn't get pregnant, but finally did. And da, da 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 da. And I don't know all the people in this church, but it's a small church and I'm new. And that night at youth group, uh, one of the kids is like, Hey, Jeff, why were you talking about Hannah in your sermon? And it oh, was no. a young adult named Hannah. Oh, they had no. no idea who I was talking about. And I was talking about this pregnant girl named Hannah. Oh no! <laughs> and nobody knew what I was talking about. <laughs> so they didn't know the like, Bible as well as you thought. That, girl, you were in, that was a deep track. <laughs> well, Hannah's story—that's a great—that's a great way to start talking about Samuel because Samuel's story begins with Hannah, uh, his mom, uh, and this idea that she could not get pregnant. Like she, like so many other women in the Bible, like this is a common uh, element. This is a common story, common theme that appears over and over and over again for various reasons. Uh, someone can't get pregnant. And that, and that's obviously also functions as a large term metaphor for, you know, there's no ability to ha- give life here. Like there's no ability for life mm. to, to sprout or to come out. And so God has to move into that situation somehow. All right. And this is where we get the story of, um, Samuel and, and, and Hannah, Hannah promising God that she will give Samuel back to him if, you know, if she'll just, if she'll just receive a boy, right? Which she does and ends up having five other children after that, which is amazing, right? But she, after she has Samuel, she sings this song, which is definitely what was on Mary's mind when she sings the Magnificat in Luke chapter two, uh, after, after that moment with, uh, Elizabeth, I think. And there's this direct correlation between Hannah and Mary. And Mary, I think, really does think about herself in terms of Hannah. Like she's, mm. that's, her, that's her biblical hero in that moment, maybe for the rest of her life. And there's this sense of peace that overcomes. Like that, that really, the disturbing life that Hannah lived before that moment, where her, you know, her sister wife, I guess is the best way to say it, is making fun of her. She's going to temple. Time after time after mm-hmm. time, she's trying hard to figure out why God won't give her with this child, and she is being uh, pestered and tortured. Like she, li- she's living a life of just total disturbance mm-hmm. and no peace, no peace at all. And it, then, then God moves through through uh, this baby boy that's born to her, 
Um, I don't know that Mary obviously didn't have the same kind of uh, disturbing uh, or disturbed life that Hannah had. In fact, you might say that her her disturbance began the moment she became pregnant rather than the other way sure. around, right? Um, I don't know. It, it, if you guys can kind of recall the t- those two stories, what do, what do you see kind of what, – what jumps out as far as like uh, in talking about peace? What do you see in Hannah or in, or in Mary for that matter? Is there anything that jumps to mind? It's hard to hear these stories and not parallel it to today, right? I mean, I think – it comes up barrenness as it's talked about in scripture comes up time and time again from the very beginning throughout the, you know, through Mary, but that's hard to think about in its historical context and all the ramifications with worth and where we are as society today. But I do think that there's so much to this idea of not being able to get pregnant in our current pastoral environment yeah i mean i in the stage of life i think that we all are in i think we all know folks that would like to get pregnant who are not able Able to to. get pregnant and it is hard that is a heavy thing and it's oftentimes a shadow that kind of seems or a cloud that seems to follow folks around and it's i don't know how much that experience that we have today should shade our reading of this story. But it will, though. It has to. Right, right. right. I uh, think just in, at least in the nature of magnitude, yeah. of significance yeah. of such an event. I mean, that's, that's the first thing that jumps out to me. And the, and the other piece of that is, particularly as, as, uh, as a pastor or somebody who is mentoring somebody in, in Scripture or spiritually, you never want to use a passage or a story like this, of which there are so many, to say, this is what God will do if you just believe, right? Because that's right. not what this story right. is about. It's not what any of these stories are about. Um, this is about people submitting to the will of God at the end of the day. Um, but it is a, it, it's, it, it's impossible not, if you know someone who's been through that or is going through that, like it's impossible not to read that into stories like this, stories like Hannah, in particular Hannah, who is... Um, for all intents and purposes, totally fine. Like she doesn't have the virginity problem, and she's not, you know, ninety nine years old like Sarah was, right? <laughs> so she's just a she's just a, a woman who just can't get pregnant for some reason or another. Uh, it's just like Samson's mom. Like right? Samson's mom couldn't get pregnant. Right. Um, I don't know. It, it it's certainly it's certainly hard to think of um peace in a time like that. I do think that's definitely the single characteristic that is not present in any of these situations, whether you're 99, whether you're Mary and a virgin, whether you're living life today, like you do not have peace. If this is a deep desire of your heart and you are not able to realize it. Yeah. And there's something insidious about it because you don't realize that you could have peace before that. And then when you find out that you can't get pregnant, it mm. kind of wrecks that piece. It does, right? It, and it, what is and why is that? I think, I mean, just in terms of like, I think a couple different things. Like in terms of what we've been speaking about at Advent, it, it destroys a level of hope, right? Mm. It takes away some ability to hope for something mm-hmm. or expect something. Uh, but it also takes away what I, it, and we do live in a different world today than, we, than Hannah did or than Mary did. We live in a different world than our grandparents did. Sure. Uh, and, yeah. and so, but not too long ago, like the only, like the main purpose of a woman was to have children, to be a, a wife, to be a mother, to be a house uh, giver, you know, a house ter- caretaker or whatever. Uh, a house builder, home builder. Home maker. Home, home maker, there it is, right? Now, and, and those Thank were- Thank you, Nick. Those were all- those are all cultural labels, right? And, and, and not universal objective, like this is the only purpose of a woman. But Hannah grew up in a situation where she thought her only role was to provide children, to have children, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, to be a wife, you had to provide children. To be a good wife, right? Um, and I can't imagine like the, the level of, of loss of purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, once you're once you find out that, you know, you can't have children. Now, again, today we live in a whole different situation and, and we don't think that way, but well, in any situation where you think that your worth is tied up in something yeah. and you can't realize that thing, yeah. whether it is a job uh-huh. or money or a degree or 
a relationship. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if you can't realize the thing that you wrap your whole worth up in, yeah, then it's going to be devastating. There's not going to be peace. Absolutely. I think about that in terms of like old athletes, you know, like mm. re- athletes who won't retire, even though, <laughs> even though they should have like years ago, because they think their entire purpose is wrapped up in being Brett Favre. <laughs> well, not and, to name anybody. I mean, this not hits, that I'm thinking of somebody specific. That issue hits men just as hard as it hits women. I think that you know, yeah. in the Bible, it is always attributed to the woman. Yeah, and but, that has a lot to do with how they understood. Right. How do we not know that actually the issue was with Brosif? <laughs> and, uh, you right. know. No, that's good. He got kicked by a camel, and now it works again. I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know how God worked there, but. That's um, exactly right, you know. Um, so I think, though, for most, for most of us reading this story, I, I, I want to focus a little bit on. I want to focus a little bit on uh, the barrenness, uh, because while while um, not everyone experiences being barren, um, and, and that's that is a uniquely painful and and you know issue to deal with, uh, we all do experience barrenness in our life. Like when we when we're not being fruitful, when we're not producing in the way that we should in other areas of our life, or when we fear uh, becoming to a point where we're not producing or not being uh productive right i would even step out and say that we have an issue when we are producing but we don't feel like we're producing enough yeah Ooh. Uh, that's yeah i mean that's exactly right i mean i think about that especially in light of covid yeah right i mean what has it meant to be fruitful i think more people have felt barren and not fruitful or not fruitful enough in this season uh, then I would venture to any time that I know of. Yeah. And that's certainly venture. like there to take it another step, not just to talk about what it's like <clears throat> for Nick Houston to be barren or for James Johnson or for Jeff Rogers to be barren. But like when we look at Northside church or other churches, when we look at the church, like what does it look like for a church to be barren, not being productive? You can't meet in person. Yeah, <laughs> that felt pretty barren. Yeah, a- no, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it did cause us to rethink what does it mean to be fruitful as and, disciples of Jesus Christ. Yeah, and almost I think I think even more than that, it, it causes us to rethink our purpose and place within the community and what you know what it looks like to be a faithful church and faithfulness and fruitfulness being the same thing in this metaphor that we're talking about, right? Um, there's a passage in Isaiah that is in the devotional this week, uh, on Tuesday. And, uh, we were, I, I was, we were redoing the, the recording for reading this. And then, and then Elizabeth and I were kind of talking about it or whatever. And she said something here that, I, that struck me as being, I think, pertinent to what we're talking about here, but also I think, uh, maybe we'll be fruitful in our conversation. But anyway, in Isaiah chapter 54, he writes, uh, seeing barren woman, uh, who never bore a child, burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent, stretch your tent curtains wide, do not hold back, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes, for you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. And when I first read that, I, I think about, uh, you know, I think about, the people of Israel, I think about all kinds of stuff that's happening there. But one of the things that jumps out there that, that struck me through, through her comment was the writer of Isaiah here is saying that you should prepare for what God is going to do. Like you should prepare for the abundance that God is about to pour into your life rather than acting out of scarcity, right? Rather than acting like mm-hmm. out of the anxiety that we feel. And so when you're thinking about this in terms of peace, like how much more peace do we have or would we have if we if we acted as though God were going to pour abundance into our life today that God was going to provide that child whatever that child is for us right whether okay. it's an individual or church so just hearing that passage that that mention of barrenness is even though you are experiencing this right now what will be is this 
you know, multitude of descendants. So you need to prepare for that. Right. Yeah, I think. Okay. So, I mean, that that's, again, I'm trying to think about this in terms of Hannah, right? I'm thinking about this in terms of the kind of disturbing or painful life you would live when, when you look at like her sister wife, for instance, who has just children upon children upon children. Uh, and uh, so obviously her husband's fine, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's her that can't provide. And, and she's seeing this, she's seeing this abundance. I don't know if they're sister wives <laughs> who's coming in and out the back of that tent. <laughs> That's fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 I, I think that this is not uncommon for us, especially when we're talking about the the level of peace of mind that we have. When we see abundance being poured out into somebody else's life, particularly somebody who's close to us or somebody who's you know that we know, and it, it, everything just seems to be scarce for us, and, or doesn't come the same way that it does for everybody else. When 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 do we? What move do we have to make in order to say, I have confidence or faith that God is going to, to well, that, do this for me? That's the impressive thing about Hannah is she keeps coming back over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And if it was me, for how long would I keep asking? Yeah. Sure. Like how, how committed would I be to persevering on that, even though it didn't seem like it was coming true? Yeah. Um, uh, I'm preaching to myself now. Um, <laughs> that's good. That's good. But though. like. Yeah, I think that sometimes we feel like, well, uh, you know, it's been a year, it's been two years, it's been three years, with whatever it may be. Yeah, right. Not necessarily trying to conceive a child, but just right, right. whatever it is that you're hoping for. Hopefully you're not trying to do that again. And you, no, no, no. Um, you eventually go, well, I gave that the good college try, and uh, right, it's right. not going to happen. Move on, I'm right? going to move on. Well, so the question then, if you're... If you're going through something like you really, that's what you're talking about. Like that's disturbing. It's not peace. It doesn't bring you peace, right? Mm -hmm. Does does the act of of persisting in prayer bring peace, or does it just kind of dig up the pain of not getting the thing that you're kind of seeing in everyone else? Well, I mean, I I do think, and you hint, you drive towards this in the devotional. Like, what are you really seeking though with this persistence and with this? faithfulness because what are the promises are we promised that you will bear many kids no like are you promised that if you really grind it out you will be a successful entrepreneur right no No. No. are you know that's good yeah are you promised to be a great athlete are you promised to be a great doctor if you're athletic or smart no these are not the promises of god so the question is what are the promises that are hinted at at the back half of that Isaiah passage that you had. Cause I think those are the things that you can really take to the bank. That's right. At, at, if you pursue in faithfulness. Yeah. So I guess we should talk about what's in the back half. Yeah. Of that, so uh, in, in the back half, you have, you have uh, passages, you have verses like this, you know, do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. For your maker is your husband, the Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called, uh, he is called the God of all the earth. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit, a wife who married young only to be rejected. For a brief moment I abandon you, says God, but with deep compassion I will bring you back. So, uh, you know, and then talks a little bit more about compassion and so kindness here. That the first recorded mention of the starter wife. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Uh, but you do okay. So if you think about then what's promised here, you're not going to be put to shame. You're not going to be humiliated. Like your mm-hmm. faithfulness won't be your downfall. Compassion, kindness, forgiveness, redemption. These kinds of things, not not the kinds of stuff that you're talking about. So the direction of your heart, I mean, is a true, truly. So so what are the fruits that we see? The fruit that we see is redemption, compassion, God's presence in our life, not not being put to shame. These type of things. The fruit that we want to see, oftentimes, are these. I don't know. I guess tangible, tangible, material, physical, worldly mm-hmm. kind of things. So here's the thing, though, Jeff, and I want this kind of ties back to what we started talking about when we were talking about peace and peace being a tangible, physical, material, nonviolent thing. 
versus being a kind of ephemeral. Dang, did I just spiritualize it again? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm asking like <laughs> I'm asking like if, if ephemeral uh, kind of thing. Like if, if we if we exchange the things, the material, tangible things that we were truly hoping for, or directing our hearts toward, or or thinking that we're going to receive in order to get that peace, and then we substitute it with for words like compassion and kindness and not being shamed, right? Those are great. I don't get sure. me wrong. Again, and also important. Like I don't get me wrong. But how do I see that in the world? Like what am I looking for now? You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Sure. Like, the same no, way we're looking for spiritual question. peace before instead of nonviolence. Now we're looking for hope and compassion and kindness and not being put to shame uh, and redemption. Because people are still going to read that as like, okay, I won't be put to shame. Okay, well, I won't be cut from the team. You know, like I won't exactly. be put to right. shame. Okay, well, I won't go bankrupt and be living on the street. Right. Um, so, I, you know, if you push those kind of intangible ideas a little ways, it does, it does make you wonder, what does that actually mean? Yeah. I don't know. It, I that's exactly right. So the question becomes then, like, I think these things are tangible, and they are material, and they're physical, and they happen to us in this life, not just in the next, right? Which is another move people can make to say, well, that's what heaven looks like, right? <laughs> but, but Which it is. Which surely it is, but, you know, Jesus said, let the kingdom be here on earth as it is in heaven, right? Mm. So I'm asking, like, what, what does... I guess maybe maybe what I'm trying to get at is if we truly want to experience that peace of the spirit, that our understanding of what compassion, kindness, and not being put to shame needs to be a lot broader than the specific thing that we're focused on right now. Does that make sense? Like, I don't want to be cut from the team, right? So that's the only thing that won't not bring me shame. But maybe there's something bigger going on, right? I, I, so I was going to head that direction, too, at the risk of sounding cliched. That's all right. There's a reason why cliches exist. That um, sometimes we build up something in our head, and it's not exactly the best thing for us, the right thing for us, but it's that thing that we've locked onto yep. at, at that time in our life or whatever. And I think if you continue to live faithfully, you look back on that, even if it doesn't come true, and say, well, actually, though, what happened was this. Um, yeah. But that, you know. You can look back and see. That feels like it could get controversial too. Sure, but I mean that's Garth Brooks, right? Thank God for unanswered prayers, and that's a, a situation. It really is. It's what a greater prophet? You can look back on your life even now, and like you said, if you stay, if you stayed faithful, you can say, "Wow, I am so glad that that thing did not happen that I really wanted to happen." Right? Like, mm -hmm. like things would be so dramatically different, right? Not dramatically, but dramatically different. Um. And you have to have that kind of perspective of the things that you're thinking of now. Like, I, peace, I think if we were talking about what peace really looks like on a, on a concrete level, um, it's aligning our will with God's will. It's, it, you know, when, our, when our, what we want, what we will uh, conflicts with God's will, as far as spiritual peace goes, that's, that's when it shows up. And that's, it overflows from the spirit into the physical world. That's where violence comes from. Physical violence comes from people not acting by the will of God. Can we do a podcast sidebar? Yes, please. Let's go. Okay. Is this sidebar brought to you by Dasani Water? <laughs> I found this uh, quote floating around the internet, um, and it was Jordan Peterson. And he danger. said, oh, man, danger, are we danger, jump into danger. Peterson I know, today? I know, I know. No, this is not. a podcast sidebar. So, does that mean it's on the recording or off? Depends on what's said. It depends on what's said. <laughs> exactly. But, but, but I, like, I like this as the team to have this conversation. Okay, cool. right, let's do it. The statement that he made, and it was in some podcast he was um, co hosting with, and I have no idea who Probably the guy Joe is. Rogan. I don't. It, I actually don't think it was, but because oh, okay. he has, a, mean, he has like a three-hour podcast with Joe Rogan. Multiple, well, maybe it was Joe Rogan then. But so the the quote then that starts popping up is, how did it go? I feel like I'm not going to get it exactly right. Um, a good man is a dangerous man that has himself under control. A good man is not a weak man. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that sounds like Jordan Peterson. Um, 
Oh, he's all about restoring masculinity and that whole idea that. Well, and of course, I'm have... seeing this running all across all the bodybuilders, you know, that I'm oh, following, yeah. where they're oh, like, like, you know, so you've got the like jacked up body, and you're like, a good man is a dangerous man <laughs> who's got it under control. That's right. That's right. And got a great pump this morning. <laughs> I did get a great pump this morning. I just like to point out. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but there was something to me about that that I thought I was like I, I feel like that's true to a degree but I don't know how far I want to take it yeah. but in this conversation about violence if you're going to do violence or if you're going to spread peace um, I think it's easy for people to let their anger or rage or emotions get the best of them and go out and do crazy stuff yeah and to be able to keep that under control is a certain level of, you know, I w- to have the ability to spread peace. I, I'm not exactly sure that I'm on board with the good man yeah, um, choice of vocabulary. But there is something to be said for having yourself under control. Yeah. Like, yeah. you are capable of murdering someone, but you don't. Right. Self-control is a fruit of the spirit. Brought to you by Dasani water. But notice the self-control comes from where? The spirit. The spirit. It's not something that you do. So, like, it's not something that you just will yourself to do, right? So, Mm -hmm. Jordan Peterson is wrong in almost every way, and almost every time he speaks, he's... He he is a dangerous man who is not a good man. All right. No, no. He is a dangerous man who has a bad philosophy. But, but... Well, it's not a theology. Wait, but it is, though. That's the thing. Like, humanism. Oh, there's no such thing as no theological. Like, well, it's, well he is that quote has nothing to do with anything outside You're, of the individual. That quote has everything mm-hmm. to do with I disagree. Ourself. What does good mean, then? What does good mean in that context? Well, he's saying a good man is a dangerous man who is under control. But where's in, that term good come I from? I do believe, though, in Peterson's philosophy, though. Yeah. That's all contained within the single individual. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, so he's not radical. looking at outside forces. But that's, of that's what does it mean to be good relative to others? What does it mean to have the spirit working through you? Yeah, no, you're right. No, I think, I think he doesn't say that, but he has some under underpinning, and like, there's a reason why evangelical conservatives, especially men, are crazy about this guy because he uses some language that is very wolf in sheep clothing kind of language. But even to say a good man, like you're, you're already, you've already lost the individual. What does that mean? Right. Cause what does it mean to be good? It can't, if you can't figure that out outside of, I don't, I don't know. That's a theological word though, is my point is it's a moral philosophy. Well, and so that is the, that's the, the thing about him or about that quote that I think makes me feel like I kind of agree with it. Because <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. Because it doesn't like, he's like getting close without really getting to the core of how you create a good man. So to our conversation before this is you need a footnote (laughs) with this sentence. Okay. So like, first of all, footnote, good, good as defined by like looking Christ-like, you know, a good man or woman and (laughs) continue to footnote it uh, as like a dangerous man. Footnote sinful. Right. You know, we are all sinful. Well, but the, if you look at the quote, if the quote, if, if the quote you gave is accurate to, to what he's actually saying I'd here, I love it if we were it just defines, him. It defines itself. He's I'll saying, if you Google it real quick, it'll pop saying, right up. I'm sure. He is saying that men are dangerous because we're animals, and we we just want to tear things up and get wild and crazy. Like we want to be violent. Men are by nature dangerous. Is what he's saying. A good man then is somebody who's able to tame that, or at least encage it. Right to cage that 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 violent beast that's within you. He's stroking ego, mm-hmm. and he is telling you that you are a crazy, you know, beast. What he's doing is justifying the inner non-peace that you have. Well, there is an element, the sentence before or after, about weakness, though, that I think. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. A harmless man is not a good man. A good man is a very dangerous man who has that under voluntary control. 
A harmless man is not a good man. So he's a saying a weak man. man. Is a very well, I, that's man what I heard that. because that's I'm all in my own. You that's know, what he means, though. But and th- and that stems from my own insecurities. No, it stems. Yeah, and that's what he's working with. That's what he is. That's the bait he's got out there. Now he's got you. Like, but the goal though is a dangerous man under control could be harmless. Could be read as harmless. Yeah. But. So when I first heard the quote in the gym context, yeah, you know, I'm like, harmless was weak. Right. He didn't use the word weak. But that's what he means. I mean, that's what he's talking about. So He's talking about don't be a woman. It goes way back to my... <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, that's what he's doing. That's what his well, project maybe, is. Maybe for more of his stuff, that's what you would walk away from it with. This yeah. is just, you know... But that's the philosophy. But a harmless man is not a good man seems to fly in the face of the Beatitudes in my... Well, and what do you mean by harmless, right? Mm-hmm. I, and he's, he's talking about being a weak man, and he's, he's, talking about, he's talking about what we see in Jesus Christ. I mean, you talk about the ultimate weakness, right? The ultimate, like... What are you you're talking, talking about? about? You're talking about... He was incident. incredibly yeah. dangerous and had it under control. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the way he would say it, right? Because he could have just killed every single one that was there at the crucifixion. Could have called down angels upon the world, destroyed everything, right? I'm but pretty sure that's in scripture. Yeah, no, it is. Like, and that's exactly how he would interpret that. And that's blessed he, are the meek. He would. <laughs> Wait a second. Hold on. Well, and that is where I spin that. No, that is where his. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, it's that's where he's interesting. He's an interesting fellow. I want to do a study on him here. But I did. I read oh. that and I was like. I feel like I agree Everybody with that. Everybody would hate your And at the same time, think I shouldn't. Well, I, I would want to do, like, yeah, no, right? I, I feel the same way. No, there's a lot of stuff. Like, I got his book over here, The 12 Rules of Life or whatever. I got it because I wanted to, to do a study on it. But then I started reading. I was like, man, this is really... I stopped that book after three of his rules. Really? Oh, you tried it too. Yeah, I'm so well, glad I brought this up. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, inter- it's he's just, he is a, I think he's the most dangerous person speaking he's got so many people listening to him right now and he what he's doing is theological religious he is certainly he knows his targets and his targets are evangelical christians particularly men but also some women well, do know. you remember our uh, that original rollout of the men's ministry yeah mighty men yeah no that's all coming from the same oh yeah i mean it's like a, it's, i've heard about him from it's the, a lot of the friends in my life that are more conservative and they love them. They're they trying to, and it, a lot of it's rooted in trying to redeem or return to uh, to save masculinity, right? To say that masculinity is not toxic, you know, or or to say that all masculinity is toxic. And again, not wrong, right? You, mm-hmm. He's not wrong up until the point where he's like, now let me define what true masculinity is and why you feel the way you feel. Mm-hmm. And then he begins to enter into a world where Jesus no longer belongs. I well, think, and and that's again, the- that's my read on it. I, obviously, I could be wrong. There but. is sort of a. I could definitely pick up the countercultural vibe that there's this. Because there is a larger narrative. Well, particularly like what I'm encountering with my kids of yeah. just spin the wheel of gender and pick what you want to be today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, no. I mean, that's. That is that's legitimately. The way it looks, like, right? I, I mean, I've had. He's got some friends that have said. Yeah. I'm fluid. I mean, you. Like anything, right? I mean, if you you can characterize somebody as extreme and put them in a box and take cheap shot shot, take cheap shots at somebody's philosophy and arguments and, you know, try to undermine it, deconstruct it. And I haven't done enough reading to really be able to do that. But I do think it, it doesn't seem that he's coming from a place that is rooted in what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Mm, that's if, right. And if that's not your foundation, then I'm going to argue from a different foundation and we might have overlap along the way, but it won't, but I can't read that as a primary text for myself. That's I can good. read it as a secondary text and right. be like, some of this is good, but ultimately some of it's going to have to be cast, cast aside. I think that's really good. That's an act. That's a really good word. And, uh, and I will say just my own, I've read, I've read uh, a couple of Peterson's books, and I've watched a lot of his YouTube videos. They're so uh, long, now. and they're so long. But but, and I will say that there 
most of my criticism of him comes from the ways in which people have used what he has said, right? And I do think that he leans into that, but I, I, it would be unfair of me just to put him in a box and throw him in the river. Well, I thought it was interesting that I saw that after you had mentioned reading him, and I saw it without knowing who said it. Right. And then was like, I'm curious about this said that (laughs) and the whole google throws out jordan peterson i was like "Hmm." was it on the tv or something like what no how did you instagram Instagram. oh okay showing up on interesting so people don't just do that with bible verses where you like take a random quote and you put a picture behind it that doesn't relate (laughs) and you're like look at this cool (laughs) shot and i guess the thing the other thing that brought it up it's similar to like when i brought up the starbucks drive-through yeah Mm. passing on the generosity or whatever yeah um there's a similar thing here where i'm like why did that appeal to me that's good though i mean it's and good that you're asking why do i feel like it it's wrong <laughs> but also right yeah and why am i concerned that it might be like yeah yeah, yeah. like what about cuz if really all i should care about is what a good servant of jesus christ i can be how does that that need to like identify my masculinity get wrapped up in or or because like separating those things I, out like i think i think this is something that we are terrible at with the church is that we don't talk about that kind of stuff we 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 tend to and maybe this is a legacy or res, residue of the evangelical conservative tradition i'm going to go ahead and say cuz i'm part of that i grew up in that is that we're afraid of the body we don't talk about the body. We don't talk about sex or gender. We don't talk about what it means to be a man or a woman or what it could mean or what the possibilities are. We put all of that stuff into a thing. Well, you're a man. You're a woman. I'm not going to tell you about sex to get to college. We have and very clear understanding of what it means without ever talking about it. Exactly. But that means we don't have an understanding at all, right? Because all we have then is a bunch of, of stone tablets that have no life in them. It was in the actual spirit and soul of a human being. And so understanding only comes through dialogue and conversation, right? I would never in a million years, if my daughter came to me and asked me about sex, just write out a thing and give it to her, right? I would not just write down, well, this is what sex is, or give her a book and say, read this. I would have a conversation with her. And she, through that conversation, would begin to understand not just what sex is, but what I think about sex, what our genera- what my family has thought about sex and gender and all those other things, like it, it, whatever the question may be. Um, but it's in the conversation, in the relationship that the actual, the actual education happens. And we have been terrible at talking about things like masculinity and feminine. Uh, They're so polarizing. Uh, well, that's one of those things like, can we even talk about it? Right. Well, have people, we swung so far the other direction that we still can't talk about it? People don't want it in the church, right? People do not want that type of polarizing conversation to hit the church because when it does then you have to pick sides and you might be picking a different side than what your brother in Christ is. And if you aren't deeply rooted enough in your faith and in your common discipleship of Jesus Christ to disagree on what masculinity is or what sex is, then you won't be able to, the relationship won't be able to bear the weight of that polarizing secular conversation. Yeah. Well, that, and I I do wonder though, can it, can it continue to be, a secular conversation and a it can't. church it conversation. It's never it been a secular conversation. I mean, conversation. one of the uh, Steve Weatherford, That's the how punter, people want it, though. It, you're right. You're right. Steve Weatherford, the punter. Um, yeah. He, he, I can't even remember who he punted for, but he's got this huge online following pushing this um, sort of conservative evangelical men of God, men supporting men you know, entrepreneurship thrown in there. Like it's a whole package, you know, um, how to be a follower of Jesus and a millionaire, but he's, he's definitely, I mean, like there's for real, this whole packaging. I bet it's write a book called how to be a Jesus and a millionaire. It's like, you thought punters were useless. Um, let's talk about Pat McAfee for a minute. He just broke up $120 million for his podcast. And he is, he is merging those, like attempting to put that yeah. conversation about yeah. what does it mean to be a man and what does it mean to be a man of God. And I'm not sure if it's going well or not. I just, yeah, that's one of those things that I see scrolling past. Like there are people out there trying to do it. Um, it 
well, and everybody has their own bent towards it, right? Like that's a that's a very particular way of saying, let's talk about the things of the world and the things of Jesus at the same time. Yeah. But I mean, if that's a more conservative way of approaching it, I mean, liberal folks do it the exact same way. Yeah. You know? Oh, absolutely. No, no, absolutely. And then let's be clear about that. Like, uh, I'm not in any way saying that one side has done it better than the other because not nobody's talking to each other, so nobody's doing it well. I, I would say that, like, I'm I'm generally revert to or or pivot back to scripture, and the Bible doesn't have the same kind of categories of gender and sex and and things that that people are trying to juggle with now. Right. right. So there's some, some questions like that. But e- even the idea of masculinity in the Bible is not as clear cut as people want to make it out to be sometimes. The Bible's not trying to figure out masculinity, right? It it's, just knows it what it is. It just knows what it is. Because right? we all should or it know knows that. what it wants it to be. But sometimes, sometimes, sometimes you got to engage scripture with a little bit of discernment and having the Holy Spirit move in that, in that situation. And that takes a conversation of, Jeff, like you were talking about people who disagree with one another. Like, I don't think any text in the Bible can be truly understood until you get two people in a room at least who don't have the same interpretation and they talk it out. Like, I, I honestly think that that's how you get to the heart and meat of what the Bible is trying to say. And I think it's true of gender, sex, masculinity, how, whatever language, whatever word you want to try to wrestle with. As long as we try to put it in a box and sit it on the shelf and not ever deal with it, this is where we're going to end up. Hmm. So I don't know. I don't know if that has to do with peace other than people well, are afraid of upsetting the peace and not having this conversation. Well, since I've got a conversation coming where I'm going to have to talk to my son about what it means to be a man, since it seems like I've got to have it now, <laughs> um, I, <laughs> I'd love to know where, what, what source we're going to yeah. pick for hey, coaching. Reach out, hey, hey, you're out there listening, reach out to us on Facebook or Twitter and let us, let us know your thoughts. <laughs> This is that is the best platform to have difficult dialogue, <laughs> a way that you can't. The internet, so strange, media. right, yes, right. Indeed. Yeah, I mean, hide behind a screen and don't look anybody in All the right. eye. All right, so we totally got off base here. Uh, well, thank you for my sidebar. I appreciate that. I, I that may some of that is going to go in for sure because I think that was a good conversation. I got like twenty minutes. Okay, so let's let's then give me five more minutes just to talk a little bit about Christmas Day. <laughs> All right, okay. I mean, we can dive. We didn't even hit. Samuel being called. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's some sometimes good that's stuff. Sometimes that's the way it goes. Oh, well, okay. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're that, emotional. Yeah. Do whatever the hell yeah, you want. Yeah, yeah. You, you can't be too attached can to that outline. Can I say that on the... Uh, yeah, my... absolutely can. Uh, but just... Um, um, I don't know. You want to end on Christmas Day is what you're saying here. Yeah. yeah well, James, uh, bring it home. I'm Prince trying, of I'm Peace is getting trying. born. Christmas that. Day. All right. So you guys know that like uh, what Sam was probably most famous for is that Sam. he he is the guy who anoints the very first king of Israel. He's the guy who anoints Saul. Then he also anoints David as king because he is the guy who the people of Israel come to and say, we don't want to do the judges thing anymore. We don't want to listen to you. We want our own thing. We want our own king. We want to be like everybody else that we look around and see. Give us a king. And Samuel goes to God and says, oh, they really want a king. I'm sorry. And, and God's like, these people, they've been like this since the very first day. <laughs> right? So I'm not worried about it, dude. Just go ahead and give them a king. And so they, they, get, they get Saul. Um, but what we discover and what we're going to discover as we look through the next, uh, next part of the devotional in the 12 days of Christmas is earthly kings are terrible. And even the kings of God's people, Saul, David, Solomon are the three that we'll look at during the Christmas season, terrible, right? And so God knew from the very beginning that, that a king, um, that he, that God was the king, right? I mean, did you guys, um... As we look toward Christmas and Christmas Day and what this means for God to come in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, what does that say? I think it's hard. You know, I've always struggled with this passage because God's like, well, I should really be the king in this scenario, but if y'all want an earthly king, here you go. Have at it. And I'm like, God, what did you actually want this to look like? You know, like we tried it where we just had your rules and the people couldn't hang. I mean, it was terrible. You know, we tried it with these judges, which is like a uh, yours, mine, and our situation. (laughs) Someone to (laughs) interpret the rules. Yeah, right. 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 And then we tried it. Let's try it another way. And I'm like, God, what did you actually want this to look like? I don't know. Yeah, no, that's. I'm trying to meet you in the middle here, God. (laughs) 
that and that's great that's absolutely true because i've always thought that too in the sense of like of course the people wanted a king i mean look how the judge's situation is going like it has spiraled out of control to the point where you have women being cut up into 12 different pieces and their body parts being sent all over israel that was the last chapter in the book of judges what is this how you want it? like is this is you really prefer this kind of government as opposed to having a have a king yeah i would not vote for that again <laughs> Right, but and obviously the answer to that is that God, you know, didn't want that. <laughs> well, we all agree. We agree. We all on agree that. that God is not, you know, a sadist. But um, God just wants people to perfectly follow yes. the Ten Commandments and the six hundred thirteen laws that were on top of that, and just be, you know, a, a Deuteronomy people. Yeah, you know, yeah. and how how hard is that? Right, humans. <laughs> Well, just see another way you can I do screw think, it up and tell everybody else. I do think, though, that God had in mind something else. We talk about Jesus. Um, as Christians, sometimes we, we talk about Jesus as, as God's plan B. Like, the whole law thing didn't work. The judges thing didn't work. The mm-hmm. earthly kingdom didn't work. The exile didn't work. The second, you know, uh, settling of the promised land didn't work. So God had to decide to come do it himself. I find a very dangerous way to talk about God, uh, as if God has a plan B, because if God has a plan B, why doesn't he have a plan C or a plan D? Like, Jesus is, I think, the, and the point that I tried to make in the devotional, and the one that I want to just touch on today as we talk about Christmas Day, Jesus was always the plan. Jesus, Emmanuel, was always the plan. God with us was always the plan from the very beginning. If you look at God walking with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, right? From the very beginning, the plan was always God with us. I think what, what changed was our relationship to God, right? We kept running away from God. We kept doing what God asked us not to do, disobeying, not trusting, believing in ourselves rather than in God. And so God is, is not changing his plan. Because the plan was always Emmanuel. But changing the way in which Emmanuel shows up in the different chapters or different parts of our story until we get to this moment where Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the true king of the kingdom of God, is born. I, I do like the way you said it in the devotional. Israel had once demanded that Samuel appoint a king over them, rushing what God had planned all along. But now, in the fullness of time, and at just the right moment, God provided the king, the king of king, the king of the kingdom of God, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. You're pretty consistent with what you heard here, you know, like what you just said on the podcast. That's good. That's oh, good. Yay. I didn't change my mind. <laughs> Unlike God. <laughs> and that's where we get canceled. See, and this is a perfect example of church folks. You know, you tell them and you tell them again. And then they hear exactly what you said it is not. And you're like, I heard exactly what I wanted to hear. What it sounds to me like is God said, you know what? We're going to do Jesus, and I quit. There's not a plan D, E, F. Okay. All right. I you're just, just like, this is it. You could still make a choice. You could follow him or not. It's up to you. It's up to you. But I'm not doing another plan. There's nothing else. Or I, don't I know, will hit the reset button on the whole. Maybe he will in another thousand years. Yeah. Right, right. Please take that out. <laughs> yeah, I'll take that out. <laughs> I'll take that whole thing Please out. remove the apostasy. Just at Samuel, remove the apostasy from the people. Can I, so uh, then as our, last, as our last comment in here, uh, as, we, as we wrap up, I do find it interesting that Jesus shows up in the, the timing of Jesus' just to kind of go back to that quote that you just quoted me. <laughs> I do find it interesting. Allow myself to quote myself. <laughs> Allow myself to interpret myself. I, <laughs> I do find it interesting that Jesus Christ, the true king, the king of the kingdom of God, he shows up at exactly like right after the very first emperor of Rome and the greatest empire in the history of the world and that kind of set the foundation for our Western world that we have today. That it's in that moment that you get the first emperor of Rome, and then literally just a few uh, years later, Jesus Christ is born. Do we think, and this is totally speculative, obviously, but is there any, like, can we imagine a, a world in which God, that was intentional? Like, that was the moment God was waiting for, for exactly that reason. Or is that just a dumb kind of historical speculative question? I've definitely heard that type of thing before, right? Like, why... 
was it the Roman Empire where it's like, and somebody's like, well, look, the Roman Empire had an infrastructure. They got the Roman roads. Yeah. And so like, yeah. if you're going to spread this gospel message to the whole world, it's, it's right there. So it's not an ungrounded or, right. you know, brand new idea. But I do wonder, did it have to be then? Yeah. Could it? Surely not, but it was. Yeah. And I, and I mean, the, in the sense of not just like the roads and stuff, but um, which is absolutely true, but like the sense of that, that their philosophy of life is what has become the philosophy of the Western world. Now, the Eastern world has been influenced by it too, to a lesser degree, but I would, I would even make the argument that there's not a part of this globe that has not been influenced by the Roman philosophy of life, the, the Roman way of the world. Um, I don't know. That's a really big historical claim to make that I'm not going to try to back up, but I find it fascinating that that's the moment. And that's all I really wanted to say. It feels like a really good moment to me. Sorry, I've been no help on this for, podcast. No, it's all right. It's an odd time for God to change his mind. I thought that's what you were going to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, emperors. I didn't know we could do that. I'm in. Let's go. <laughs> Um, all right, guys. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I hope <laughs> you guys. Oh, yeah, we're gonna, I'll, I'll, I'll edit it out. So I'll just edit it out. So it sounds good. But um, but uh, hey, guys. I just want to say um, I'm excited about Christmas coming up. Uh, we got a lot of stuff happening here at Northside Church for Christmas. Uh, by the time this comes out, it'll have already happened. But um, oh, no, so we should true. say no. Is it going to come out? It's true because it's Christmas Day, out, right? It's coming out Christmas Day. <gasps> Merry Christmas! Yes. Oh, yes, we got to you got to splice in a beginning where yeah. we say ho 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 Merry Christmas. Oh, 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 yeah. <laughs> Actually, welcome to our special <laughs> Christmas edition of the Dialogic Disciple Podcast. Merry oh, Christmas, is, guys! It is good to be with y'all on Christmas morning. <laughs> Merry Christmas! Oh, you should have seen Jeff run down the stairs, open up his presents. It was delightful. Oh, James is wearing a Santa hat. <laughs> ho, ho, Nick had ho. eaten all the cookies. <laughs> good that's perfect all right guys well thank you so much for being a part of this conversation today we kind of went all over the place but uh that's kind of that's the danger and delight of dialogue so thank you so much for being a part of this guys jeff you got any final words for the people <sighs> merry christmas tall good night i like it Nick? peace on earth goodwill to men Ooh, all that's right good. and that's i'll good. say that's good yippee ki <laughs>